Oh, and I didn't, I forgot to mention for um, episode 10, Phil, that final shot straight out of Persona. Oh, it is. Yeah. That's the, yes. like exactly the yeah, shot. Exactly. From the Persona. Shot. Yep. One person becoming and I was another. Like, I meant to call that out and be like, no, it's a... Oh my God. I see what they did. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to murder husbands an in-depth episode by episode discussion of Brian Fuller's animal based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are popsicle. Hey, How's it going? A group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Philip Kelly. I will be moderating today. I write, I do a bunch of stuff. Uh, but as always, I'm joined by my Popsicle team, my forensic team of stories told. We've got uh, Justin Penniston here. How's it going, Justin? Hey there. Lisa K. Weber. How you doing, Lisa K.? I am doing well, thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, Kelly Sue Milano. Hi, hi. How are you? Hi, hi, I'm well. Excellent. Claire Thorne. Hey. Hey. How's it going? What's up? <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, they're, they're all writers and creators. Justin does the Hunter Black comic. Uh, he writes mm -hmm. for Sonic Prime. Lisa and Kelly Sue put together the uh, Hex 11 comic book. Uh, uh, Kelly right. Sue writes, Lisa draws. Claire does the um, Geek's Guide Journeys, Cross Stitch book, Geek's Guide Journeys into Space, right? <laughs> something like that you almost got all the word you got all the words and they were almost like in the right order that was yeah, really right. well you. done thank you uh <laughs> so that's everybody that we're here we're here to please you with our our discussion um and hopefully you find it pleasurable we've gotten some very nice messages on instagram and the twitter so feel you know we like hey, that let us know it if you're liking the show so we like that a lot yeah guys. we actually do yeah. <clears throat> thanks everybody um <clears throat> uh -huh. Now that we're now that I'm done glad handing ourselves, uh, before, <laughs> before we uh, dive into discussion, Kelly Sue and Claire will take us through a quick recap of Kono Mono. Here we go. Well, the Raven Stag gives birth to a Will Stag while the Man Stag watches. Welcome to this episode. From here, we see Hannibal and Will at Hannibal's dining room table. He's prepared the delicacy of roasted songbird. Nice touch, you fancy asshole. They talk about God, Will's heart rate, and his capacity for violence. All of this in regards to Freddie Lowndes, who we then see, as the books intended, rolling down the driveway of a parking garage set ablaze in a wheelchair. Shout out to the OG, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Back at the lab, the team investigates the crispy body and finds that her psoas muscles have been taken. A peculiar trophy, Hannibal says. Yeah, dude, you ate those. In Hannibal's office, Margot Verger reveals she's pregnant by Will and oops, she was only having sex with him to steal his sperm. Sorry, I lied. Also, congrats. It all makes sense as we're treated to a lot of reasons why Margot would want to get away from her brother, given that this dude is the fucking worst. Making kids cry so you can use their tears in a martini? Fuck off. Alana shows up at Will's to be all like, I don't trust you, you're a murderer. So Will is like, uh, check again. He says she's in danger and gives her a gun, insinuating that it's Hannibal who is untrustworthy for the 5,000th time. Cut to Mace Verger in therapy with Hannibal, eye roll, talking about Papa and pigs and lots of weird shit and visibly ruffling Hannibal's feathers with audacious levels of rudeness. Hannibal has such a hard time not doing crimes to this kid that he maybe gives away Margot's secret. Meanwhile, 
Freddie Lowndes is exhumed and rearranged as the Hindu god Shiva. Just another day at the office. Alana's still over here being all tormented or whatever with a lot of pretty subtext that basically says Hannibal and Will are murdering people together. Will is all like, wink, wink. And later, while having romantic times, Hannibal smells gunpowder on Alana's hands and is like, uh, are you firing a gun? Time to throw a party because Alana finally starts to get it. Unfortunately, we then have to see Margot Verger get T-boned in her jag by her brother's henchman, Carlo. Mason explains that she's about to undergo a hysterectomy, and if you haven't already wanted to drag this dude by his hair directly into the mouth of a great white, then you do now. Will finds out that the baby he didn't want and frankly felt real weird about is gone as he and Hannibal observe Margot in her hospital bed. Why they're allowed to just go visit various people in their hospital rooms is still unknown. Will is visibly pissed about all of it and leaves to probably go take matters into his own hands. Alana confronts Jack about Will in a very theatrical way, TBH, and very intensely shouts at him to wake up. Jack gets to be the smooth operator for once, saying things like, to what are you referring? And it was clear from the evidence that Alana's not buying it. Hugh hands slamming on desk. Jack sees that she's not gonna let up with the drama and invites her to a conference room where gasp, shock, ah, it's Freddy goddamn lounge and she's alive. Alana starts crying, but I was like, yay, this bitch would never go out in that fashion. <laughs> in closing, we see Will take out Carlo before physically assaulting Mason Berger up in the psycho pig pen. They exchange words and throw a few hands before Will throws, holds a gun to his stupid yet handsome face. Hi, Michael Pitt. And says, don't you think it's weird that we all have the same psychiatrist? Mason maybe gets it, but just to be sure, Will suggests that Hannibal might be the one that he wants to toss in with the piggies. The twists, the betrayals. Can't wait to see who dies next. Hey, I never wanted wonderful. to stop reading that wonderful. synopsis. I just wanted it to go on and I, on and on. We that will have to take, synopsis was yeah. stellar, Kelly Sue. What a compliment. We will have Thank to take you. all of these and publish them all together. It's oh, a single yeah, document, absolutely. all the synopses oh, of everything you've yeah, done. A dramatic sure Ryan Fuller and everybody <laughs> over at the Hannibal Production will really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been with Brian Fuller. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. He seems yeah. like he has oh, a good man. sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brian Fuller read any of these synopses and actually said to me that he enjoyed them. My soul would fucking leave my body. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I say it's very much in the realm of possibility, Kelly. It very much oh is. Very much Absolutely. Is. Um, so jumping into this, uh, I want to I want to jump directly to Alana Bloom and her embarrassment, um, because uh, what's that? Because she's been driving. Earned. Yeah, it is right. Uh, it was no it was known a mystery to me that Freddie Lowndes wasn't dead, but it was so pleasurable watching her reaction to seeing Freddie Lowndes alive with that that perfect shit eating line. How was my funeral? Like it was that whole moment. I was literally as Jack was taking her and I was like pounding the, we will rock you uh, theme with my hands. Like <laughs> you're going to get rocked Alana. Cause she's been going so hard on what she, like, she just can't see anything. She's, she's like her first layer of emotions kind of dictates exactly what she's seeing. She's more emotional than she is logical. That makes her, as we talked about a, a really great therapist, but a really bad therapist for herself. Um, very interesting character. Um, there's a lot of deft writing in this episode, especially between Alana and Will, which uh, this is kind of kind of focused on a little bit now. Um, because I, I'm wondering how much is Will enjoying this? 
like she has come at him so hard in her denial of what he's said so many times and he's being so passively just kind of needling this idea and, and dancing around it in a very fun way in the writing um so i want to talk about alana bloom i want to talk about will graham and what he how he's using this in his interactions with alana bloom um hmm. uh kelly sue yeah uh, so touching on something that we spoke about in the last episode when mm -hmm. we were discussing alana um and my take that she sort of represents innocence. Um, she's the archetype of innocence in this, you know, show. Yeah. Um, the shadow side of innocence is being naive and not wanting to see things that you don't want to believe or not sometimes not even being able to see the darker things just due to the fact that you're so focused on the good and the light. Um, and I think that Will's needling is really like, you know, the way that you would deal typically with someone who is naive on this level is I kind of have to lead you to it on your own. I have to sort of like spoon feed you the truth so I don't just blow your circuits, you know? I mean, if he tried to just be straightforward with her and be like, here's what's going on she would like implode. She <laughs> wouldn't even know what to do, you know? <laughs> sure, well, sure. Worse than that, she would probably rat him out to Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I think own. that's exactly it. I think that's, um, I think Justin, you just, you just really hit it. That's, because yeah. it, it feels super fucked up. The, um, the funeral scene between Will and Alana, it feels like he's just fucking with her. Like what's going yeah. on? But it's mm -hmm. like, he's like, we talked about in the last episode too, with him going undercover, he has to go all the way. Yeah, He can't tell her what's going on because she can't, because she's so innocent, because she's so naive, she can't be trusted with this information. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she would, she would, she would just blow it all up because mm -hmm. that's who she is. That's what she does. And right. there's a lot to be admired in that quality where she's just like, I'm not going to stand for this injustice and it's wrong. And I'm going to say stuff about it. Like mm -hmm. it's, those are, those are good qualities. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But in the context of this show, <laughs> it's like, it's almost an antagonistic quality. Totally. So, you know, it's, yeah, I think that's what's going on with the fuckery that I don't think Will yeah. is enjoying it. Um, <laughs> I think he's just, this is just what he's like needing to do. Um, I, I didn't come to this until this conversation, listening to you guys talk about it, but it makes me wonder, is Will deliberately using his, flaunting his relationship with Hannibal, like holding it under Alana's nose because that's the only way, because Alana suspects Will of being a murderer, mm -hmm. is Will leading her to Hannibal by saying, but me and Hannibal are buddy, buddy now because we're murder husbands, can't you see? <laughs> you know, like, like, so what comes off as, a, as almost needling or mocking her in some ways is actually prodding her in the direction she needs to go and finally arrives at, because she has come to believe as Freddie Lowndes did, 
or at least as she thinks Freddie Lowndes did, that Will and Hannibal are committing murders together. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why she confronts Jack because she's come to that conclusion. You mm-hmm. know, and well, and I think that yes, that and to that same point to go back to her being this sort of like, you know. She's this sort of Susie cream cheese, right? (laughs) (laughs) Is that she can say things like you and cheese analogies? (laughs) Susie cream cheese is my new favorite term. Have you that is incredible? Have you ever said Susie Susie cream cheese over here? Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) I wish I could claim it, and I'll I'll give credit at the end of the episode, maybe if I feel like it. Anyway, um, you can see it's illustrated so perfectly. And I think it's in this episode when she says this to Will, where she's like, I don't think Hannibal's good for you. While she's actively sleeping with that same person. Yes, mm-hmm. Will says like, it. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the level of her not being able to see the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and of her trauma too, because we've, exactly. we've talked about her trauma that she's brought into this show. Where she has this, this need to like surround herself with like broken things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and this need to like this unhealthy kind of need that she has to fix things. Yeah. And so it all kind of speaks to that too, where she says, I don't think Hannibal is good for you and Will's exact responses, but he's good enough for you because it's like, you are like, you are punishing yourself mm-hmm. by being with him yeah well and also she's she's like embodying this sort of toxic like i'm the good guy right you know where it's like mm-hmm. i mean if you were to actually look at what was really going on you're not that good of a guy <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> the, the key in that the key in that conversation is will forcing her to actually truly equate their relationships the the fact that they have the same relationship to hannibal because i think alana's so deep down in the well she cannot see that that what she's doing is not having a she's not having a romantic intimate relationship with somebody she has gone she has made hannibal her therapist in terms mm. of of l- helping her to feel good about um, the way things are right now, mm-hmm. like she's 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 committed that you know unforgivable sin of a therapist in in that she is she has become a patient to someone really, um, and ha- started an inappropriate relationship around that as well. And Mm -hmm. I think she's, I think if she starts to understand anything really very firmly, she's probably understanding that, um, in this episode, I also Mm -hmm. just like, it's so amazing to me that, that in that conversation, we're starting to see Will do things the way Hannibal does things in terms of manipulating and moving people because giving her the gun, great. That's great for protection. But I think Will's intent all along is the understanding that she's going to go practice, you know, because he tells her very pointedly, get to know it, go practice with it, you go practice with it. And what happens immediately? Hannibal notices 
that she's been firing again. And, and Will absolutely directed, set that, you know, chain of events into motion, whether it was just to, you know, um, accelerate her understanding that Hannibal is possibly a threat to her or, or whatever that end uh, result was. He, but we see him in just being very, you know, uh, sophisticated about his manipulation. Justin, you have something on your mind? He's going to disagree with me. No, no, no. I, I'm just like, I had not considered that Will gave her the gun so that Hannibal would notice it. I hadn't either. And I'm like, I, I'm not disagreeing at all. I'm, okay. I'm. You're saying that of, you didn't. I didn't, you didn't I didn't hit to that before. And now I'm wondering, now it's got me like thinking, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm considering that as, as the realness. And I totally read it that way. When he tells no, her, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm when he makes, Justin, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Before. Yeah. yeah. When he and tells I'm, her I'm explicitly, I'm like, now I'm kind of downloading that information. And yeah. I'm, I'm still, yeah, it, yeah, but like, else. because what, he doesn't have to, he has to drive a wedge between Hannibal and Alana from both ends, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. that's what this does. And so I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. I well, guess what really saying is clear. You kind of blew my mind there a little bit. Though, so. <laughs> when he, tells, when he, can I, can when he gives now? her the gun, he tells her go and fire this. Yeah, yeah, you need to learn yeah. how to use it, which which is reasonable. Like you should never give yeah. somebody a gun. Right, I took this that is... at face value. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know? same. Yeah, I get question. that. It's very smart, but you don't usually hear that dialogue around yeah. weaponry. Yeah. <laughs> in, Normally, in a... it's just like here, protect yourself. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah. when he says, "Have you been firing the gun?" I was like, "Oh, well." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, and Alana needs that. Alana has been listening to Will, but clearly not hearing him. And the only way she can hear him is if, if Hannibal says something that confirms that is just what off. Will has, yeah. you know, mm. planted in her head. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she's getting there. Yeah. Bless her heart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna move on to the next uh, little bit here. We're gonna go back to Mason Verger because he takes a larger role in this episode. Uh, also going to see Hannibal um, for therapy. <laughs> Uh, we've talked about the Twin Peaks element and the score, which I like their score because it is very Angelo Badalamenti. Sorry, Kelly, say you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do like it. Yeah, um, I love it. For, for I, those I, of us who aren't massive film nerds, like could Phil? you give a little reference <laughs> for our listeners about Angelo Badalamenti? Because well, I have he, no idea he what does, you're talking He does about. the score for Twin Peaks, literally. And, and most of David Lynch's films, like he did Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. Okay. He did, yeah. he did okay. Lost Highway. Like he basically mm-hmm. has done every David Lynch yeah. film. I have seen Mulholland Drive. Well, there you go. There so you go. You've, you've heard. I've also seen Mulholland Drive. So you've there both you heard, so you've heard it. Battle of Menti, then. And I've heard yeah. and I've seen Dune. Well, there you go. Yeah. Did, did he do Dune? Yeah. I'd have to. I don't know if he did Dune. Or no, no. Toto did this. Yeah, yeah. Toto oh, did. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. That it was wasn't Battle of Menti. Toto. That was Toto. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> um, yeah, to Toto. I think we're all on the same page with Toto. <laughs> oh for sure I... yes yes oh justin's yeah. thinking yeah. about it thinking about it well he's thinking well he's thinking mm-hmm. we'll, we'll continue yeah. on forward right. uh maybe we'll get that later uh the the franklin getting teardrops from a child i thought was wonderful <laughs> it's just so weird and one it was so evil um but as far as hannibal is concerned hannibal seems to share a genuine laugh with verger 
when he's talking about sticking the pigs and this whole conversation about that. And I, I'm curious uh, what you guys think about this. And we can talk about, you know, the vergers a little more here and what's going on there, especially the, the little red devil suit that he wears during the, um, during the scene when they have her on the table. Like it's like a 1930s black and white movie, little devil suit, you know, like something out of that era is what yeah. it reminded me of. Um, but uh, uh, do you guys think Hannibal, outside of his sort of machinations, you know, with manipulating er just everybody, do you think Hannibal likes no. Mason Verger? Absolutely. I think Hannibal no. thinks Mason Verger is straight trash. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, think Hannibal, I think he despises Mason Verger. I think yeah. Hannibal sees most people as being equal to pigs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah but that he also views that Mason Verger is not worthy of even handling pigs. Like he's just not, yeah, he's just not worthy. And, and yes, there, there is no acceptable color for, for surgical scrubs other than white or maybe like a light blue. Mm -hmm. Any other color is fucking creepy. It, yeah, and so creepy. red, red is just straight up Rosemary's baby. It's, right. it oh is yeah. freaking, it's wrong. That scene was very Rosemary's Baby. It was very Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. That yeah. scene is one yeah. of the most uncomfortable and heinous things that yeah. I yes. have oh, experienced. Yeah. Like, it, we can all, you know, have a discussion about like how women are portrayed, especially tropes of pregnancy and unwanted mm -hmm. pregnancy and hysterectomies and, and the violation that that is mm -hmm. on a woman's body and psyche. Um, I don't know that it really needs to be spelled out here because I'm still just like cringing in a very, yeah. very bad way about that scene. And I mean, could the show be more blatant about painting Mason Verger, someone who needs to be killed, like needs yeah. to be taken out being worse than, it's hard to make people worse than Hannibal, but traumatizing kids for their tears so that you can drink them in a martini. By the Feels way, did worse. I was I talking to all of us when I came up with a pun for the yeah. Martirney? <laughs> oh, okay. Martirney. I think I right. think you did that when, I don't when, think I heard that. when he did it anyway, to Marco. Um. So yeah. Um. Yeah. Mason Verger is the worst. Hannibal absolutely <clears throat> fucking hates him. Did you see the look on Hannibal's face when he like got up from the couch and left the jacket? Sure. And left yeah. the jacket and yeah. it was all rumpled and everything. Yeah. The look on his Horrified. face was like, I'm going to fucking murder you. Murder. And you. I was like, thank God Hannibal is here to murder Mason Virtue. <laughs> so what where does that where do you guys think that because Hannibal doesn't laugh during his sessions? He shows nothing normally. Where do you think that laugh comes from? Uh did, I think do you think he's enjoying the conversation or that no, element of his no? I think I he's think, trying to relate to him. I think he's for, laughing in. Because when he let, I think he's laughing. I think his laughter comes from the line, your childhood was so odd. I think uh -huh. Verge is laughing as what he's done. And Hannah was uh -huh. laughing like, oh my God, you're such a freak. You know? <laughs> totally. like, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a shared laugh at all. No. Okay. No, I think it's, mm -hmm. I think it's, I agree with Justin, but I think the root of it is that he's being performative to sound like, the I way do agree there's an element of that. Mason yeah. Berger would want mm -hmm. him to sound, right? Like he's he's being a mirror to Mason Berger mm -hmm. for the purposes of of 
making Mason feel comfortable. Yeah. I, if- so I read into this scene, maybe a little too deep, maybe. Mm-hmm. We can't and too deep in Hannibal. I guess that's true. So Hannibal has said in past episodes, I think maybe two behind us, um, that you can taste fear in meat, right? Mm-hmm. And when Mason is talking about how his dad would go through like the show pig arena or whatever and like stab them to see the, like what the fat lines yeah, were or whatever weird was, yeah. ass shit that was about. Um, and then Hannibal says, you know, show pigs are often, you know, a, a, their happiness is a big part of what wins them a blue ribbon or whatever. And thinking of that mixed with Hannibal being like, you know, putting putting the meat under duress is going to ruin how it tastes. I was like, he's sitting here looking at Mason being like, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> he has no respect for these animals or for the meat or for any of this. Therefore, he's a brute and I'm going to smash him. <laughs> that was literally what I was thinking of listening to that scene. Mm after he talks about how his dad would stab the show pigs mm. effectively ruining their happiness and watching, therefore their meat. Watching this episode this time, I spent a fair amount of mental effort trying to picture who I would cast in a flashback scene to play Mason Berger's father, who is arguably, like he created Mason Berger, right? Oh, yeah. So he's arguably worse than Mason Berger in a way. Like who, and I don't know that I came up with a good- Did you see Willem Dafoe? Oh no, you didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn. That could go. Ding. That could be. Yeah. We need we need some Papa Verger like imagery. <laughs> do we could, do we need any more so. vergers? Well, we're gonna so. we're gonna use this moment <laughs> to pop over to some messages and we're gonna be right back to discuss a little more uh, about what the goings on of this episode. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're back. We're back. Um, I want to talk about Hannibal and uh, uh, Will and, and a bunch of other stuff here, because uh, what Hannibal taketh away, taketh away, Hannibal giveth and then taketh away. Um, you know, the title of this episode can mean either seasoned pickled vegetables or small person, apparently <laughs> referring to a baby, perhaps, um, because Hannibal can't seem to stop himself from playing the games he plays. Right. Even when he knows it could hurt someone, especially the person he loves, it's it's almost an impulse beyond what he's capable of stopping. And part of me wonders if he has this impulse and he's just spent time intellectualizing it at this point, because he he sort of offers Margot's baby as a second chance for Will to kind of take on the Abigail father role that 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 Hannibal took away from Will. Um, but he can't stop himself from planting the seed in Mason's head to get rid of the baby. You know what I mean? Like the, there's almost this impulse with Hannibal to keep playing this game regardless. And I, I, I'm trying to think of the, the, the sequence of events that leads to that moment. I was about to say, how does, what is the order of the events there? Because I feel like the conversation about Abigail happens after Hannibal. Because I think Hannibal clues mason in pretty early in the episode 
I think yeah, he Maybe. does. He it's like yeah, pretty I, I, early I, I'm on confident that, then um yeah, it's definitely before. Then either he talks to Mason he does he has that conversation with Mason mm -hmm. and plants the seeds in Mason before the conversation with Will about fatherhood and Abigail and all that. Sure, sure. Uh Animal doesn't want Will to have a baby and take would, his attention away from him. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly. I, I think from the very exactly. beginning of it, there was no circumstance that Hannibal would allow someone else to take up any emotional space in Will's life. Well, there, I think there's... there's more to it than that. I, I think, I mean, I think that's true, but I think he specifically doesn't want Will's priorities to change. He thinks that a baby will stand in the way of Will's becoming. You know, because Will will value something more than being more than he is. You know, it's gonna well, it's, it's definitely going to respark like a protective, yeah. You know, uh, sure. impulse sure. in Will. Well, there's this, and, and there's a couple of great lines. Obviously, this I, I love this episode. There's there's the great line where it's, uh, you know, becoming a killer changes the way you think. Becoming a father also changes the way you think. Uh, you know, the, the things like that, I, I, especially these couple of conversations between Hannibal and Will, um, there's a lot being talked about uh, that kind of takes all the other conversations and sort of elevates them, I think, because I think we're seeing Hannibal, I mean, Hannibal has admitted to a murder now, which in all of the conversations previous, he has danced around actually fully admitting to the fact that he has murdered someone. In this, he's like, Oh yeah, this is why I murdered Abigail. Basically, full out admitting it. There's a level of uh, uh, comfort or trust that he's now sharing with Will. Um, is he really regretful that he killed Abigail? That he took something away from Will, which he seems to show in this scene, in which I'm not hesitant to disbelieve. I, 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 I have a like. I kind of believe that he's sharing some regret about that. Um, you know, what is the symbolism of this teacup, this Hannibal Shiva that we see, the Wendigo turning into sort of Shiva, who's, you know, the- Best uh, visual ever. Who, who gives, so who, you know, as, as they just talk about Shiva gives and they take, he takes, Shiva gives and takes away, you know, he's sort of death and, and rebirth. Um, so let's talk about the complexities of Hannibal and the mythology of Hannibal that we're seeing sort of being laid out. Cause there's a, there's a lot, the eating of the bird, the that not hiding scene, from God's face, you know, that scene of their like them being together and talking about Abigail as the shadows start moving mm -hmm. and we see the Shiva yeah. Wendigo. Oh, it's, it's remarkable. Just, I cried. Like I cried while I, watching that. Scene. Yeah. My heart like especially talking about abigail my heart just broke all over again yeah. it breaks every time um and like it's to me it's like that scene comes up and it's like whatever path will was on as far as like as far as becoming closer and closer to Hannibal and what Hannibal wants for him, I feel like that was a real clarifying moment for Will. I feel like that was a very a clarifying conversation for Will to be like, yes, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. It's for Abigail. It's for this sense of fatherhood that I still mourn 
And um, this thing that Hannibal took away, not even from me, but took away from the world. And, you know, Shiva the Destroyer, it coming up as Shiva the Destroyer. And like, that's what, and I, we, you know, the, the show talks a lot about like, you know, creation and destruction being kind of like two sides of the same coin, especially as far as fire is concerned. And um, I feel like this kind of, I feel like that conversation kind of reignited Will's fire for his purpose here and what he's doing with Hannibal. And I genuinely do believe, I think I agree with you, Phil, insofar as I think that Hannibal, it's interesting because Hannibal's, while he does sort of admit to the murder, it's more like he acknowledges it than admits it to it. He doesn't, he doesn't make a confession, you know? Yeah. Um, but he, um, I think what Hannibal is saying is, look, I was trying to manipulate you. I was trying to fix you. I was trying to elevate you. I was not trying to hurt you. And I yeah. think he regrets that unfortunate byproduct of his plan. I do believe that regret is genuine. Well, and I think I think Hannibal, the Abigail Hobbs issue for Hannibal is one where he regrets it for himself as well. I think while he was doing it, he felt an honest sense of regret. And that's, again, tells us how in control Hannibal is, even of himself, that he is able to see a course of action that furthers his agenda and can complete it even when it, I think he honestly had similar feelings in some ways for Abigail that he does for Will, but, but in service of, of the greater, you know, end result, which is, you know, Will, he, he was able to, you know, sacrifice that. And I think he, he regrets it for himself as well. I wonder how much, and, and I go back to this question, I'm going to pinpoint this question. How much do you think, and maybe Kelly Sue, you might have some thoughts on this because you have some great Hannibal thoughts rattling around in that brain a lot of times. Uh, how much do you think he intellectualizes this compulsion or does this, do you think it came about the other way? Like, do you think it was his viewing of the world kind of led him to this? Or do you think he has this compulsion to do these things that he's now spent time sort of piecing together what it means after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, the silence I think that, goes on. <laughs> the silence right? of thinking. No, it's, it's a big question. <laughs> you know, I think if if it if it if boiling it down to the fact that Hannibal deeply loves Will, right? Mm -hmm. And what has love been like for Hannibal before? What were his first experiences of love? We know he had a really tortured and fucked up situation as a kid, obviously. Mm -hmm. You don't really have to have an actual backstory to know that. Right. He seems to have loved his sister from the way he talks Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that he's got, you know, for all the ways that he has these compulsions to do these heinous acts i think he has an equally strong compulsion to be close to people 
And then once he's close to them, to be in control of that entire like circle of trust, trust in quotes, that's created between him and the object of his affection. And I think that anything that threatens that absolutely inspires the compulsive behavior. And I think Ooh. Abigail was the beginning of that, you know, because they both had this affection for Abigail and Abigail in the same way that the Verger baby uh, would have caused this would have completely derailed Will from the becoming that, that Hannibal wanted to be a part of for him. Um, so he had to, you know, be in, had to take control of that in another different kind of controlled, you know, way in the way that he does. Um, and I think that is the basis for everything that he does with Alana, everything that he does with Jack. Um, it's all about keeping Will close. I love that. I love that so much as, as like, especially like to talk about his backstory and it's like, you don't have to see Hannibal rising to know that his backstory is fucked up. <laughs> 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 but if you want the details, you can see Hannibal rising. Um, <laughs> Um, but the thing with Misha, um, I love that, that it's like, there's clearly a loss that happened there, whether you know the mm -hmm. details of it or not, there's clearly a loss that happened there, a loss that he couldn't control. And yeah. so now it's like, I will control everything that I possibly can mm -hmm. so that I never lose that again. Wow. Yeah. I agree with all of that wholeheartedly. You know, I know enough about Hannibal's backstory to also like I see that as Kelly Sue is saying it you know like mm. how this need to control the people in my life is born of the traumas of my youth mm -hmm. um, I do believe however I don't think that his that what happened to Abigail Hobbs was something that Hannibal had pre-planned no. I think it was mm -hmm. something that Hannibal was backed into doing in order to yeah yeah i i think yeah. it was i he think hannibal used that yeah. as a necessary evil he said that yeah, he right. said as much yeah. in the scene when yeah he, he when does he say that it. in the scene yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's exactly what i'm alluding to when i talk about how you know he i think he regrets it he he definitely makes he doesn't do it without making a decision he's not mm -hmm. he's not completely backed into a corner necessarily because right. i don't ever see hannibal as being backed into a corner well it's it's mm. you're, i mean it will you know, does he, say will does say no there were other options there but now there isn't mm -hmm. like and i i i feel like that is that compulsion again of hannibal to deal with something in a very singularly specific way yeah to, just to take them out of existence like okay you're a problem you're dead now i don't have to think about you or deal with you on any other level than alive or dead Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a that's a that's a pretty sad compulsion. Like I like for me to deal with this situation, I'm literally going to take you out of existence, so I don't have to deal with this situation anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, that's playing God to the nth degree, which I find all this talk about God in this episode, especially mm -hmm. oh, yeah. very fascinating. Um, yeah, and the acts of uh, destruction. Well, if you know, if you think evil's destructive, then all these other things are destructive and and yeah. what i do pales in comparison to the destruction of god you know it's just like mm -hmm. it's also very fascinating we could keep diving and diving into this but we're gonna it's we're also gonna something on. he said 
several times oh, before. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. The God stuff is just the, always um, coming up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I do yeah. appreciate that we take that discussion in this episode to a place that's not judeo-christian mm-hmm. <laughs> yes well. i like do too very yeah. inclusive in our in our well the, the inclusion yes. of shiva as an idea as opposed to just yeah. the christian god i think is really good of a yeah. show to do um oh yeah totally uh, so i'm gonna i'm gonna do a hot take which will lead us into exquisite corpse i i loved all of the shit talking of freddie lounge around her supposed burned corpse i thought it was glorious and speaking of the gloriousness of her corpse <laughs> we're going to jump into the exquisite corpse with Lisa leading the way. Hey-o. Ah, that's me. Um, so, uh, and I, I, as beautiful as that segue was, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, because this episode spent so much time just like, really laying bare the symbolism of the corpse that was quote Freddie Lowndes. Um, so it was like there what there's not much more for me to add that wasn't said about the nature of fire and um, the deification of fire and all the things fire means. There's nothing for me to like really add that the show didn't say. So I thought I would take a different tack and talk about um, the bird mm. because um, what it was the Ortolan, that's what it was called, the Ortolan bunting. Um, bunting, the Ortolan bunting from the opening scene. Um, Cause I think it plays into so many of the themes that were going on in this episode. Um, and um, so I did some research onto like everything that goes on into making this dish. Um, and so, and it was traditionally like for years, like centuries, even in Europe, it was like, it was, um, something that was eaten by either the incredibly wealthy or the clergy. And those were basically like the two classes of people that regularly ate this dish. And I thought that Is the clergy thing was interesting. <laughs> Is there a distinction <laughs> between? Um, but anyway, so what they would trap the birds and they would um, put them in cages and keep them in the dark for several days. The darkness would prompt the creatures to gorge themselves on food, causing them to swell up to three times their natural size. Um, sources state that in order to get the birds to eat faster, chefs used to deliberately blind them as they arrived in the kitchen, leaving them in permanent darkness and determined to eat excessively for as long as they could. Once optimum size has been achieved, the befuddled, bloated birds are plunged into a cauldron of finest French Armagnac. This both drowns and marinades them at the same time. The dead dripping game are then roasted whole for precisely eight minutes before being plucked in preparation for service. And the, here's the real like, whoa, <laughs> because oh, this there's is a largely... real whoa that we haven't gotten there yet. Oh. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't experience it already. So like, this is, this is a banned dish. It's been banned for a long time. Um, and because the, uh, the Ortolan bunting population started to dwindle because the dish became so popular. Um, so people are god awful <laughs> yeah yes really yeah um 
and it's all true about like wearing the sheet over the head um and yeah so anyway it wasn't necessarily Um, about shame right it was it was two things i mean they the kind of poetic thing was about shame but the more kind of like useful i guess enjoyment element was so that you would get the aromas like all up in you Um, (laughs) so it's banned but that doesn't mean that there aren't people of means who haven't tried it and um so there's this quote because anthony bourdain tried it where he said with every bite as the thin bones and layers of fat, meat, skin, and organs compact in on themselves, there are sublime dribbles of varied and wondrous ancient flavors. Figs, armagnac, dark flesh, slightly infused with the salty taste of my own blood as my mouth is pricked by the sharp bones. That really made me whoa. Wow. <laughs> um, especially in regards to this scene and the themes of this episode that that sense of like how much I'm giving of myself including like my own blood in the enjoyment of this meal um and like going into how much Will is giving of himself going into like you know honestly how much Hannibal is too because he's sacrificing a lot right now it may not seem like it but he is Mm -hmm. and um it's I don't know I just to also talk about these these kind of like for lack of a better way of putting it like defenseless creatures like the verger baby and like the destruction of these things um that it just kind of kept on like the themes of the bird just kind of kept on like compounding to me the more I thought about it and the yeah, more yeah. I kind of like the destruction of Alana's innocence as we've talked about yeah yeah and I mean those the and the, that scene like the close-ups on mm-hmm. their mouths as they of will swallowing yeah 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 well it's you know I like I like textures in food right like I like crunchy in with you know, I, I generally, when I eat ice cream, like to put like granola or something crunchy into it, but crunchy that is the result of biting through either bone or a shell is wrong. <laughs> it's just, it's just wrong. And so this description, like Anthony Bourdain's description and the visuals and the sounds that we get of the eating of this bird, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to lay this like verdict on people, but at the same time, I can't help but feel that people who are willing to crunch through something's bones while you're eating it, it's like you've removed a certain level of like uh, connection with what that thing was that feels really wrong to Well, I would, I would actually argue the opposite you're making more of a connection with that thing if you're chewing on its bones and Um, it sounds like organs and because I'm not and I'm not even gonna try and lie here if someone put that dish in front of me I would absolutely eat it just to experience it 
think I might too. I hate to say it. It sounds so gross. Do I would it. not go out of my way to make that or to find I wouldn't go out of my way to make it, me. but if it was offered to me, I would absolutely eat it to have the experience, to have that experience. Yes, I would okay. do that. And I would do it, but I don't think it would, it wouldn't separate me from the bird. I wouldn't be separated from the bird yeah. at all. I would be like, I am because, you know, when you eat like a chicken nugget, that's separation yeah, from true. the being that it was <laughs> yeah when yeah. you're eating and, an entire bird yeah like well, bones and, think, and all that is connecting to that creature I think you're clarifying what I'm saying I think I said it wrong Lisa I I think yeah you're correcting it in the in the way that is really what I meant to say is that you're separating yourself from the separation of the live the live <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's yeah. It's not a separation from the, the, the animal. It's a separation from something that I don't know. It just. Your own humanity. Oh, yeah. it's, it's from your civility. I've come, yeah. I've come to mm-hmm. a place where yeah. like, I, I can't even really describe my reaction to it because it is so visceral mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. in my head, the idea of it, that it's just, oh, it would be impossible yeah. Ugh. What I found it just in, in this, in this, your exquisite corpse, op, you know, option here, Lisa, and the last couple episodes, I've liked that. And I talked a lot about this in the first season, how his office was sort of Hannibal's mental landscape that we were traipsing around in. And that has become the, his dinner table in the second season. Um, that is, that is his mental landscape where he feeds people and it's more intimate it's more, you know, they really dig into these ideas much more deeply on an emotional level and an open level than in the first season where everybody was kind of, obviously everybody's still hiding things. But I think even though Will's hiding things, he's not hiding things in this season. I think he, everything he's going through and talking to Hannibal about, he's actually going through and experiencing just Hannibal just doesn't know that, you know, it's also a game trying to trap him. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, thank you, Lisa, for that wonderful, exquisite corpse. Um, <laughs> You're uh, welcome. So good. Yeah. That horrific, <laughs> horrific, exquisite yeah. corpse. We are going to quick hand this. We're going to hand this off to Justin real quick for uh, a recommendation. Before I get to the recommendation, I just yeah. have to comment on the birds. Yeah, a little yeah, yeah. Bit, <laughs> sure. I hadn't said anything. Yeah. Um, a, am I the only one who looked at those birds in the fire and saw? Easter candy saw peeps. <laughs> I absolutely saw peeps. I mean, and there's okay. you know, you are truly separated yourself <laughs> from the yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's a weird hot take, yeah. but you know, uh, um, I also am. I think I'm rowing in the same boat as Lisa. I think that I would, if such a thing were presented to me, I would never come up with this process for creating food. Um, but if someone put it in front of me, I would probably try it. I mean. My philosophy is I'll try anything that's not a baby, you know. Um, and it's funny because I listened to this, you know, separation from our civility or our humanity or connection to the animal or whatever. And I'm recall because I eat shrimp with the tails on. And I like the texture that it adds. I like that crunch. And I once ate a live gold. I once swallowed a live goldfish. Um, you know, in I, my you know, I know of, I know people that have done that. Yes, in my meat-headed youth, I did yeah, that once. Yeah. Um, wow. 
And so, you know, I guess, you know, there's a loincloth, you know, <laughs> clad <laughs> savage inside me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that I don't know if that dude is better or worse than the cannibals. But, um, okay, so, you know, we like on everything we review, we like to uh, make recommendations based on if you like this, you might like that. Um, and as we're watching Hannibal and as specifically in the second season, we're really dealing with from Will's perspective, the ethics and morality of violence. And that really has hit me in a particular way. Uh, and I think in part because I'm currently watching Rewatching slash watching uh, Daredevil hmm. on Netflix, and wow! So Yikes. my recommendation yeah. is Daredevil, not just the show, but also the comic, mm -hmm. because it deals with all of this God and the devil, and is what I do justified, and like these weighty matters of the ethics and morality of violence, you know, are really seen through a through an excellent superheroic lens in the from frank miller on daredevil stories in the comics and very much in the show um you know and you know we're we're sort of treated to you know matt murdoch is very much like will graham in that you know he claims to walk a brighter path you know and often you know his justification is i don't kill daredevil doesn't kill but he hurts people oh yes brutally mm -hmm. and the show especially because it's very kinetic and has these real brutal fight scenes really brings that out you know and so i'm finding myself seeing some of these themes mirrored and you know explored in a different lens and uh i think that daredevil is by far the best of the netflix marvel shows um with the i never saw the second season jessica jones actually the first season of jessica jones was still yeah amazing to me yeah mm -hmm. and i've never seen the punisher um it was really good like but it uh, goes into a lot of war trauma kind of things it's really good um i think daredevil is if you're enjoying you know hannibal particularly from a thematic bent then i think daredevil is something that you should spend some time with awesome nice. i like that recommendation i need to watch the third season I haven't watched it yet. I just started the third season. I, I'll get, I need to. I'll get I back. never, I'd never seen that. I saw seasons one and two, except for the finale of season two. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did watch the first episode of the third season. And I was like, this is really, really, really dark. And I love it. And I can get back yeah, to it. Yeah, same here. That's exactly where <laughs> I am. Like, I just watched shit. the first episode. <laughs> yeah, it really and it is dark. Yeah, and it's very dark. It is really, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get you know, to I mean, get back to it. It's about, you know, having to heal oneself through getting yeah. your ass kicked. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's a real, like, ah. Uh, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Yeah. But I think it's important viewing, uh, especially in, concerning in, in regards to, like, Hannibal. Yes. Thank you, Justin. So if you did like this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle, where we have these types of conversations all the time. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you may listen. New episodes of Murder Husbands release every Tuesday, where next week we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 12 of Hannibal, Tome 1. Um, we have also have another ongoing, on-again, off-again series. This, that episode was, we, we talked about Why the Last Man. We just finished the sixth season of The Expanse. Keep your ears open. We may have another one coming up soon. Um, and if you have any thoughts about what you might want us to watch, 
as Justin put out there in a previous episode, let us know. You know, we bleed, you know, we're up for new things, enjoying new things as they come out. That's what that episode was, is. Um, enjoying old things that have been out for a gazillion years. We're yeah, up for especially that as if well. we haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and you can always help us just by subscribing, sharing, and as I said at the top of this, leaving a nice comment. It makes us feel all good and fluttery inside. Um, follow us at Popsicle Pod on social media platforms to so sign up for the newsletter at popsiclepod.com. How many people do we got on that right now, Claire? Four, five? Uh, there, there are four people yeah. on that. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get stuff out I love there. how Follow even us. we haven't all signed up for it yet. No, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm on there and Lisa's on there. Nobody else just... is on there. Ooh. Like the reason why we have four is because I'm signed up twice with two different emails <laughs> that come to me. So <laughs> Look, I... I've done the most work Look, on it so far. I haven't done all the work on it, obviously, but you yeah. know, we, I, I like, so we have four subscribers, three of whom are us. Yeah. So look, yeah. I, I like to do trailers for things that we're doing that are upcoming and things like that. But let me tell you, once, once we get people signed up for this, this is going to be the best way to know kind of on a weekly basis yes. what we're going to be up to. So I don't have to edit a damn trailer for every little thing that we do. That, it is my New Year's gonna resolution. Be, <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. That'll be wonderful. Uh, so yeah, follow us. Um, the, uh, uh, it's Popsicle Pod. That is P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Until next time, pick out all the bones. Don't want you to choke for the next no. episode. Bones are, yeah, they're deadly. Unless you feel like cutting your mouth so your blood <laughs> right? be an ingredient in oh. your deliciousness. Thank you, Anthony Bourdain. Um, thank you for listening. Anthony Bourdain, if you're listening <laughs> to this somewhere. Wherever you are. Wherever you are. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.